Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Bryant Monte. Bryant, you're on the road, but it's a big yeah. week for our friends in Canada. So we know you couldn't have missed this. <laughs> no, didn't want to miss it. So that's why I'm calling from, uh, actually, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hello, Greensboro. Greensboro in the house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my son is, my youngest son is in the Junior Olympics here in Greensboro. So it's exciting. <laughs> it's extremely exciting. And we wish him the best top athlete. Yay. Hey. Go, David. <laughs> so it is right now the first week of August. And August 1st specifically is Emancipation Day celebrated by our friends to the north in Canada. And we have the honor of having one of the originators of this celebratory day, Rosemary Sadler, joining us from Toronto. That is right. It is a real great pleasure for me to be here with you today. Welcome, 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 welcome to our show. Thank you so much for coming on our show. <laughs> oh my yes, you. hello to all of our friends in Canada and Toronto, which I, do you guys refer to it more as Ontario? Well, it's um, uh, Ontario is like our state and Ontario is massive. You could mm -hmm. probably put about 10 states into Ontario. So it's um, we Toronto in and of itself is a really huge city. It's a population of about 3 million people, and um, it's, it can take you almost an hour, depending on the traffic, to drive from one end of the city to another. So it's a massive city. So yeah, we call it Tor Toronto more than we call it Ontario. Okay, <laughs> got it. So we are here because uh, Canada does celebrate Black History Month. It also celebrates Emancipation Day. That's, a, a, you know, in August. We have Black August here as well in um, the States, actually celebrating not so much the emancipation, but prisoners' rights. So we're trying to, you know, all year long, really celebrate Black people in all situations um, and freedoms. I love it that we're able to talk to you because you really, really pushed hard for Canada to embrace its African-American history. I mean, can you tell us uh, when this all started for you? Well, um, you know, there's so many ways for me to answer that question, but let me start right at the beginning. My uh, Both of my parents are Black, Black Canadians, and, but it was my mother who, for sure, didn't want me to have any doubts about my identity, which could be so easy to happen when you find yourself the only Black family in a community, and we were. And um, while the population and the density and the locations of Black people in the city of Toronto is very different now than it was, when I was growing up, I we were the Black family, and I was the only Black kid in my school. So, um, yeah, you you it's important. And how uh, my mother made sure that I went to a Black church. So uh, the Black church that I went to was a spinoff of the AME church. So it's called the British Methodist Episcopal Church. And it was formed in 1856. And there were locations of this church throughout the province of Ontario. And that was a blessing because it meant that when we went to conference, we had the opportunity to see Black people all over this place, all over Southern Ontario in particular. So um, moving up in time a bit, by the time I find myself um, married and the mother of three children, my youngest one still nursing, 
And when I was um, appointed from, I was already on the board, I was appointed to um, the presidency of the only Black history organization in Canada, I um, found that I there were a few administrative things that hadn't been handled quite the way they should have been. And through an error, I was propelled into doing even more to secure February as Black History Month with the city of Toronto, with the province of Ontario, and with the entire country of Canada. That, so I became the president in 93. By 95 in December, it was a national phenomenon and we I was the only non-elected black person <laughs> on the podium in Ottawa, which is our Washington DC, um, with the prime minister of the country who at that time was Jean Chrétien and other uh, people celebrating the first February as Black History Month. Of course, this is all building on Carter G. Woodson and, and so on and so on and so on, but that's the beginning. But around that same time of my beginning, the process of having February more securely anchored in the Canadian imagination, I also began the process of looking at our day when slavery ended. Yes, there was slavery in Canada, folks. And August 1st, 1834 is the date when slavery in on the lands we now call Canada went into effect. So I worked on having that formally commemorated too, beginning in 1994, but it did not get passed nationally <laughs> until March 2021. You know, you think about politics and you think about politicians, and I'm sure uh, Canada is probably not much different than our country when it comes to moving old heads, traditional people that just don't see the vision of why this is important. So what, what did it really take to move the leadership to make this happen? What do you think was the real push to finally get them to press the button, pull the trigger, vote yes? To making this happen? There's so many factors. Let's begin with that. Sure. One of the factors is that I did not, I did not let it go. Another factor is that I uh, was persistent. Another factor is that it's the UN International Decade for People of African Descent. And there were, there was more of an interest in trying to have some products, some things that they could say that they had done. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, we share a very slim border, and that border uh, means that things that are happening in the United States, we know about too. We're, you know, just because we are uh, in another country doesn't mean we don't know what is happening with you all. Toronto's own Rosemary Sadler is with us. Stay tuned. We're back learning more about Emancipation Day from our Canadian neighbors. The, the whole George Floyd murder combined with people being at home because of COVID-19, in my view, put people in a situation where they really had a lot of time 
to begin to think about what's going on and how did this happen and what can we do to make sure that we are living up to some of the ideal values that we say we are supporting. So all of that, I believe, combined. And when, um, I mean, you know, this isn't a new initiative. I, like I said, I've been working on this since 1994. It had gone to uh, votes in 1999, 2000. It also went in, I think, 2017, 2018. So this isn't new, but this happened on this occasion, I think, because all of those factors came together. And we're talking about two areas of the world that have been affected by slavery. The U.S. First, let's start even farther south. Brazil, 56%. African American, uh, well, African South American, <laughs> Brazil, Brazilian, and that was African Brazilian. Yes. Where slavery did not end until 1888. Not until 1888. Come up a little farther north, and we've got the U.S. at 12.5 percent, and then we're ending, you know, slavery between 1863 and 1865, and then we've got about three percent of Canada as African descent and. But you, uh, your country ends it at eight, in 1834. I mean, that's progressive, I would think. I would like to. We could say so, I right? I mean, it's all relative. Absolutely. I, it's sure, you know, it's certainly mm -hmm. a good move, but it wasn't just a Canadian thing. Um, because at the time, um, we were, this, these lands were considered a British colony. So it was really part of Britain's global initiative to end the slavery that they had control of. And what's uh, helpful about that is that, of course, in Canada, it went into effect in 1834. But it also freed other people around the world who were also caught up in this horrendous system. And I think that the other really wonderful thing about it, aside from um, being sort of a spark for other global powers to consider ending their slavery was the reality that uh, on my mother's side, um, th those people who just who realized that there was freedom under the law um, in Canada mm -hmm. formed, moved, created, followed the first freedom movement of the Americas, which was the Underground Railroad. Absolutely. And then now I'm thinking all kinds of things, British Commonwealth in slavery, um, 1834, or in some areas of the world a little earlier, maybe a little later, then you've got the Portuguese who dominated that middle passage um, with their slave ships ending it later, you know, when you're talking about Brazil and South America. So yeah, it all comes together. I'm sorry, I'm, I just want to get ahead. clarification on a couple of things, sorry, because I thought sure. a lot of people went to Canada for freedom. They and, did. And that's why I'm a little confused with how, how was it that around the same time uh, you all were going through the same things and the laws were the same or similar. How, how does that work, that history? Well, you know, I think that that's the secret of, of Canada. Um, and that's why it's so important for us to be making a point of marking and understanding what Emancipation Day, August 1st as Emancipation Day means. 
it means that slavery existed in this in Canada on the lands we now call Canada from at least 1628 in terms of enslavement of Africans from 1628 through to August 1st, 1834. However, because um, Canada didn't form as a country officially until 1867, it has managed to allow the idea that it was a country that was not founded on slavery to go forward as part of the narrative that this is a land of freedom this is a land where people came to be free and that is true but it is also true that it is a land that had slavery that indigenous peoples were enslaved that africans were enslaved and that that slavery continued till 1834 prompting, as I indicated, the Underground Railroad. Yes, indeed. And so what kind of things happen on Emancipation Day? Then or now? (laughs) Uh, Well, take us through it, (laughs) please. Well, you know, actually kind of the same thing. Um, In the the huge, the largest um, celebration of Emancipation Day actually took place in Windsor. At one point in time, Windsor, Detroit were, were really the same same city. Um, it's only the the border that hit the very thin borders, particularly there, that separates them now. And um, this celebration by the 1940s, 1950s had like 200,000 people in attendance. It was the largest Black festival in North America. And people like Eleanor Roosevelt were there, Stevie Wonder, Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, all kinds of people were coming to this amazing festival that ranged over a number of days with beauty pageants and music and speeches and Mm -hmm. educational opportunity. It was amazing. I didn't get to go. It was over before I ever had a chance to visit it. And there was another one. Uh, Again, it was a bi-national event, American and Canadian, that took place near St. Catharines, Ontario, at a place called Port Dalhousie or Lakeside Park. And that one was also huge. And it did the same kinds of things. And it was also an opportunity for people to get together. And it was like the um, early dating apps. (laughs) People would meet each other and families were formed. Meat market. (laughs) Yes, but every place that there were freedom seekers settling in Ontario, there were also going to be celebrations of some sort taking place. But those were the two historically biggest celebrations that were in existence. So when I was looking at having an Emancipation Day, formalizing it because of the educational value, um, it, there was already something called Caravana that was taking place around the same time, but Caravana had not connected the reason for the pageantry and the parading and the joy and the music and the costumes had not connected that to why that was taking place. Uh, Black people are joyful, but we were joyful in particular for a reason. And that reason was that we found out that we had been freed. So I, began some programming and my programming was a little bit more educational and um, it grew and grew and grew. One thing I think about when it comes to Black History Month, I think a lot of times 
Uh, we have to remember why is this important? Why do we need to educate young people to this history and make it relevant for them? What is it that drives you and what, what is it that you make sure is the message when it comes to celebrating Black history in Canada? Well, what, one of the things that I found and I have done oh, easily 2,000, 3,000 Black history presentations in schools and community organizations and churches and so on. And what seems to emerge is that for people who were born in this country, there because there is no required Black history course, uh, people don't know. Still? Well, there might be in one or two pockets, but it's there's no across the country required Black history program. My goodness. So if you are in a community where you don't happen to have a Black population, uh, if you are, and, and even if you do have a Black population, that Black population may be new to Canada and may come in not knowing the history of Canada. If people have lived in this country for a while and gone to school here, they still are not going to know about the Black people who have been in this country since before it was even Canada, and they are not going to appreciate or understand their contributions, achievements, or experiences. So it's important for Black people to learn their history because they may not know it, especially if they're new. They may not know it because it hasn't been taught to them. They may not know it because it's not something that everybody has access to or has taken the time to learn for themselves. And it's also important for people who are not Black so that they have a better sense of what is Canadian history and who is a Canadian and who are the people who have contributed to the development of this country. They're not all from one race and they're not all from one gender. I remember a professor I used to work with when I was teaching saying it all comes back to curriculum. Well, <laughs> everything in that society, right? <laughs> well, if, if schools are the place where everybody gets the same message and it provides a safe place for people to give consideration to complicated ideas, if we don't bring those complicated or challenging ideas to young people to begin to, you know, test themselves and decide how they feel about it or what they think about it or where they want to go with it, when do they ever have that opportunity? Right. What has been some of the response to your work? And, and let's go over your professional life, because you, I believe, studied social work. Well, that's, I did. I have a master's <laughs> degree in social work. And I, well, <laughs> I'm an example of what happens when um, you're a trailblazer. And I'm an example of what happens when you face barriers. When I had my social work degree, my master's degree in social work, I was denied the opportunity to be employed in my profession because people felt that a social worker was not supposed to look like me. And it was incredibly painful. And of course, it had a, a financial, financial repercussions as well. But at the time, um, I was... Um, I, I got, I was married and I had went to have children instead, thinking that maybe things would open up a bit when, and, um, but they didn't. 
So what happened is instead is that I accepted, I wanted to be involved in something purposeful that was meaningful to me. So that is what made it possible for me to have the time to devote to this unpaid work with the only Black history organization in the country, because I couldn't get a job in my profession, and I was not willing to accept um, a job that might have been more readily available to me because of my race and gender. And I was in a very fortunate position at the time because my partner was able to to manage the household financially. But that isn't what I wanted. I wasn't looking not to be paid. I wasn't looking to do this. And and just one other piece here. (laughs) Soon after I uh, became the president of this organization, which was already barely getting any funding, Mm -hmm. our funding was cut by 90%. So I lost what staff people I did have, and I effectively became not only the president of the board of directors, which is an unpaid position, but I also then became essentially the unpaid executive director. And this was not a choice. This was not a choice that this is what one would want, but I also was very, very, very mindful given who was on my board and the nature of the situation at the time, that if I had walked away, the organization would no longer exist. And at the time I felt it was important to hold that space. Can we give a shout out to the name of the organization, please? The organization is the Ontario Black History Society. And I see behind your name, O-O-N-T, or oh, how do you pronounce? Is it oh, aunt? Or <laughs> so. it is um, the highest honor that the province of Ontario gives to a citizen, and it's mm-hmm. the Order of Ontario. Now that's incredible. Um, tell us how that happened, and when that happened, and what that was like. <laughs> um, soon after my success at uh, initiating, advocating. Um, building up a community of interest around February as Black History Month, I found out that I had been nominated to be awarded uh, an Order of Ontario. And it was um, a lovely um, bit of information to receive. And I know the person who nominated me. Um, and actually, the person who not I, the person who nominated me was the first black member of provincial parliament in Ontario. And he was very, very aware of what I had done, but I am very, very aware of what he had done. And Leonard Braithwaite, may he rest in peace, is the man who was able to end the last segregated school in Ontario. Wow. Anything that has happened in the United States has happened here. Let's just start with that. Um, The transatlantic slave trade had all kinds of evil children, and those evil children are not just in existence in the United States, they exist in Canada too. So it begat, um, you know, segregation, it begat racism, it begat um, all kinds of things. One thing that, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go back to how a lot of times we have a 
not a, a, a good perspective on certain countries or certain places. Like I, I wouldn't think about Canadians or people from Canada struggling when it comes to civil rights. We certainly have had our share, while they may not be on the same, numerically the same, we have had race riots. Historically, one of the earliest race riots, probably the largest one in the early period, took place in the Maritimes, in, in Nova Scotia, in Bridgetown. We have had race riots very recently on Young Street in downtown Toronto. We have had fights for um, the end of segregation. As a consequence, we have Viola Desmond, who now appears on our $10 bill. And in her fight to end segregation, she did so 10 years before Rosa Parks. Hmm. So we, you know, there, there's, we are not so very different, but we are, we, we, we share much. We share the good and we share the not so good. Mm -hmm. And again, being low in number as far as, you know, 3.5% of African descent but in the country. Sorry, that's, that's a bit of a bit in it's a, the, the statistic would make it seem like that's an overarching number so that you oh, tell us you, you could go any place in this country and that would be the percentage. No, at, the, at one point, Toronto had half of all of the black people in Canada within this community. That has changed within the past 25 years. And now you'll find very large numbers of people, particularly, uh, well, there were always people in Montreal, but I mean, the, the numbers have grown in Montreal, Toronto, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, and in Vancouver as well. So you can go to, there will be some communities that you will go to and you will have to look real hard to find some people of African origin. And there are other communities and you won't, don't have to look at hard at all. They'll be right there. Still a heavy Caribbean influence? A lot of the Black people who arrived in Canada post-1967 with the change in our immigration laws were absolutely from the Caribbean. They were from uh, Jamaica, Barbados, St. Kitts, Nevis, Bermuda coming here sometimes for school, but coming here sometimes to live uh, forever and also coming uh, to Canada from Britain. So they may they may have gone to Britain for school or may have been born in Britain um, of Caribbean roots and then coming to Canada. I just wanted to uh, also piggyback on that other question I had, what other groups were prominent, especially in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, when it came to the you know black history, civil rights, in Canada? There um, were many groups, um, and there were many groups that started up. One group um, was organized called the Urban Alliance on Race Relations. It was started by um, Dr. Uh, Wilson Head, a social worker. Um, Dr. Daniel G. Hill, who was one of the founders of the Ontario Black History Society, helped to extend the work of the Ontario Human Rights uh, Commission. Mm -hmm. There were also efforts by people outside of Toronto to bring about changes in laws to make things better for everyone in terms of uh, racial discrimination in housing accommodation and so forth. Um, and here I'm thinking about a man named Hugh Burnett in the 1950s, 1960s. Yeah.
So you're a prominent author as well, right? You've written how many books? Seven? I've eight? written seven, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of my books is a bestseller, a Canadian bestseller. So that means I, I don't have to, I, I, I'm not ready to retire. <laughs> but that book, the kids' book of Black Canadian history. Yeah. Uh, I have another book called Black History, Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. And of course, I've done books on Harriet Tubman. I was uh, actually uh, in the process of doing my research on Harriet Tubman. I was able to, um, it was actually quite exciting. I, I had the opportunity to reunite uh, an American descendant with a Canadian descendant of Harriet Tubman. And we did this in Philadelphia, Mother Bethel AME Church. Mm. And the American descendant, was short and feisty and everything that you might think about in terms of Harriet Tubman and the Canadian descendant was tall and willowy and she could sing so it like between the two of them there was Harriet Tubman um but it that was quite amazing and the American descendant that I had met was her name was Marilee Wilkins um and I met her in conjunction with uh, Charles Bloxon and Marilee had in her possession the artifacts that were Harriet Tubman's, including a shawl she had received from uh, Queen Victoria and some other items, which I had the opportunity to hold long before it was ever donated to the uh, museum in, in DC. So yeah, and a, a book on Marianne Shedd, uh, the first woman author, publisher in North America. Um, yeah, a few. Mm -hmm. Going back to Harriet Tubman, because she is such a superhero. She is. <laughs> I mean, unstoppable. I, I can't remember how many trips she took back and forth oh, yeah. <laughs> on foot. It's a challenge because people, yeah. you know, I, I think that there's history and then there's historiography and there's oral history and there's so much. And, and it doesn't matter how many trips she made. However, uh, one source would suggest that she made 19 trips, that 11 of those trips began and ended in Canada, in St. Oh. Catharines, Ontario. Um, whether that's 19 in total or not, I don't think it really matters. The point yeah, is, yeah. An she did, at least she did one, I mean, yes. but 19 or more. Yes. And, yeah. and she may have rescued as many as 300 people, but that doesn't matter either because... People knew what she had done. And because of knowing about her and knowing that she had succeeded, it made everyone, well, not everyone, but a whole lot of other people feel that they could do it too. Oh, absolutely. And then she opened a hospital, right? Um, where she ended up and I mean, she just couldn't she stop. Lived, she lived in <laughs> Canada for eight years. And while she was in Canada, she... Um, had um was able to bring much of her family up but during the american civil war she served on the union side of course and during that time her healing efforts her nursing abilities became very uh, apparent and so uh later in her life in auburn yes there was a, a harriet tubman home for the aged created more so than a hospital but i think she also worked to support the creation of hospitals. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, was there anything that really surprised you about her in your research? 
one of the things I didn't realize that she had a role to play with the um, with battle. I didn't realize that she had been a true spy and scout. I didn't realize that she is the only woman in uh, perhaps in U.S. military history, perhaps in global military history, uh, aside from ancient African warriors that we are coming to know about. She may be the only woman to plan and carry out a maneuver on the Combahee River, close to where you are, Brian, in in uh, the Carolinas, uh-huh. where she was able to rescue over 650 people in one go. Unstoppable. Yes. I love her. Amazing. I love her. And, and, and actually, you know, she's just. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I think it's just a testimony of her faith, trusting God and just being fearless. And I know a lot of this is predicated on, you know, people began to see through her example and others that this slavery is not right in the first place. And I think, you know, some of the things that you're talking about, just helps to clarify that a lot of people got on board and said, you know, this isn't right. It's never been right. And we need to do something about this. So I think this is a time now where people are starting to realize the history and actually try to do something to, uh, I wouldn't say change, <laughs> well, you know, change anything from the past, but at least be more understanding of, you know, the history that is, uh, that's happened in Canada and the United States. Just wanted to get some thoughts on Marianne Shad. I didn't want to just gloss over her, the first African-American woman publisher or first, first African-American American publisher. Sure. Well, woman I, publisher I, I, in she, North America. She took out Canadian citizenship. So she was essentially African-Canadian, but we'll, we'll go with African-American. I keep, you know what? I, <laughs> that's a natural habit. <laughs> first African-Canadian <laughs> woman publisher. She was. And, and, and this Marianne Shad, you know, in a nutshell, was um, not an enslaved person. She was the descendant of enslaved people in um, the Northeast. And her home was actually a station on the Underground Railroad. So they were already free in the North. But around the 1850s, her family, because she was all, she was teaching by the time she was 16. So by the time uh, of the around the 1850s or so, her family encouraged her to come into Canada because so many people were coming in, pouring into Canada because of the Second Fugitive Slave Act. They were, they felt compelled to leave. And she thought, well, you know, while these people are all pouring into Canada, let's go see what's happening up there and see if it's a, a good place for our people to go. And in the process of doing that, she set up a school. There were some challenges, which I won't go into right now. But one of the challenges was that there was an event that was that took place. In, she happened to be in Windsor at this point. And an event took place. And at that event, there was a fight. And unfortunately, someone was murdered or died as a result of this fight. And she was being implicated in this situation. She had nothing to do with it. She wasn't part of the fight. I don't even believe she was at the event, but people who wanted to slander her wanted to work with that. So she was forced in order to protect her reputation to 
defend herself, and she did so anonymously by beginning a newspaper. And ultimately, she had the backing, or it seemed to be printed or published by uh, Reverend uh, Samuel Ringgold Ward, but he had nothing to do with it. Half the time, he wasn't even in Canada when this paper was coming out. So she ended up moving the paper to Toronto after she married. And um, actually, I don't live too far away from where her printing press in Toronto used to be. And, um, and, and actually, if people come to Toronto, I'd be happy to take you on a tour of, of, of Black history sites in Toronto. But she um, held her, had her paper here. She also is the only Black woman to be able to attend the North American Convention of Colored Freemen that was held for the first time in 1851, a couple of blocks away from where I live at St. Lawrence Hall. So she was wow. um, like, she was not a typical woman. She was not a typical black woman. I, I suspect she may not have been a whole lot of fun at a party because she was very purposeful, very, very, you know, very uh, steady on the case, but she um, made things happen. And uh, around the time of the Civil War, she took out Canadian citizenship just in case she had to come back. She went to back to Washington, now in Washington, she uh, went to Howard, and she was actually the first woman to complete her law studies at Howard University, but they wouldn't let her graduate because she was not the kind of graduate they wanted to highlight. <clears throat> so they let someone else graduate first, and then she was able to graduate. So she became a lawyer, one of the very first to graduate from Howard University. And became involved in the suffragette movement. She was just really phenomenal. And her motto was basically she would rather wear out than rust out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amen to that. When it comes to, uh, you know, these young minds that you develop, because, I mean, you're an author, you've written children's books. What is it that you say to them that you really often get that spark or the light comes on for them? because maybe you see it in their eyes, or if their eyes light up when you share uh, a, a golden piece of history that they never heard of. I think sometimes it's talking about what is Africa, what was, what was happening in Africa before slavery. I think sometimes it's about the reality that Canada had Black people that were part of this country from the very beginning, and actually before the beginning, because if the beginning, like if we were a country in 1867, the fact that there were Black people here as early, for sure, as 1604, with the arrival of somebody by the name of Matthew da Costa, hmm. we have a name for him. People are amazed by that. And I was very fortunate to be able to work with Canada Post to make sure that we had a stamp issued to honor Matthew da Costa. Um, so just to be able to, that point in time, 1604, mm. that's like 400 years ago, there were black people in this country. For those that have no idea about Canada and the history, how would we compare this holiday, Emancipation Day in Canada to one of our holidays? I am the Opali of Canada in terms of Emancipation Day. Emancipation Day is our Juneteenth, and our Emancipation Day took place August 1st, 1834. It's a new celebration on the national level, so we're starting to see all kinds of events grow. It is 
your Juneteenth. It is DC emancipation. It is the same. Mm. And joy and dance and music. <laughs> yeah. Joy and dance and music. And thank you for pointing out Washington, D.C. does have its Emancipation Day as well, which is pretty cool. These are just points in the year to remind people that maybe this is this be extra mindful, take extra opportunity to be reflective and also celebrate and be joyful. Absolutely. Well, happy Emancipation Day to you. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) And and please invite us. It's been a pleasure. Invite us to Toronto. (laughs) I've never been. You're invited. (laughs) Oh, you'd like it, Bryant. And thank you, Dr. Vibe, for the introduction. That's our favorite podcaster in Canada. So it was awesome. Nicole, I never knew some of these things about Canadian history. What about you? Oh, I've known some things. I just always want people to know more about our neighbors to the north. I mean, there's so much to learn and commemorate. And I'm glad that you could make it, Bryant. So safe travels back home. So thanks for phoning in. I know you didn't want to miss this. No, I didn't. I had to be here. (laughs) Yes. Online. Emancipation (laughs) Day is a celebration for sure. And we've got more history on record at BeforeYouGo.tv. Yes, and please visit us at BeforeYouGo.tv. We want to thank you all for listening to us here on KBLA Talk 1580. And as we say, before we go. (laughs) We want to remind everyone that our Afro-Canadian neighbors have a tremendous amount of history to share as well. Yes, so let's make sure we take the time to get to know these stories and more. There's no time like the present. What What a a gift. gift.